We are on the eve of the Olympic Games, the pantheon of sport, the mecca of sporting television. And with that comes the handball Olympic tournament as well. And when we talk about meccas and pantheons of sport, for handball, despite it being a professional sport, the Olympics are such a big thing. You know, we're not talking about football at the Olympics where under 23 teams come and run around. We're not talking about golf where the professionals don't even care about the country that they're playing for and want to represent their sponsor like Rory McIlroy and Amiga. (laughs) (laughs) And we are talking about the absolute peak of handball competition with 12 teams on the men's side and 12 teams on the women's side competing over 14 days for that vital gold medal. Welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour. How are you, Chris? Oh yeah, Alex, that is a great intro. You have me pumped here. I am uh, I was already pumped, but this uh, makes it feel like we're doing something here. We're creating some kind of service for the people. And that's kind of the point of this episode, right? Because there's going to be a lot of new people watching handball for the first time or watching it again for the first time in four years. So here we are now to help people, or to guide people into what they're going to all of a sudden become experts in over the next two weeks. And we're going to help them become experts with our foolproof guide to these games. Exactly. So we'll start probably a little bit basic. We'll go through you know, what, what handball at the Olympics is, maybe a bit of what handball is uh, for the really new fans. But don't worry, we will get into the details. We will talk about... The best names, like Hiroki Matoki, handball our favourite, and we will get deeper and deeper and maybe finish off with a bit of beach handball for the true, true handball nerds at the end. And again, for people who are just new to it because they've been reading the news lately. So there's two different angles people are coming into this sport, those who are hyped about the Olympics and those that are angry about something they didn't know they were angry about, but a very... Very good reasons to be angry about. We'll just save that bit for later. So, the Olympics. What do you want to know, Alex? Come at me as the the uninformed person here. Let's say the average American who is going to watch handball for the first time and wants a bit of background info. What are your questions for me? We'll do it like quick fire. Uh, let's start with one question on the rules. And let, let me uh, see if you can answer this. Is handball a contact sport? Yes. I want to say you disagreed with this. No, okay, I'll, I'll give this uh, rule because a lot of people, I think when they watch handball, they're like, oh, it's, this is easy. People are just run and jump. But handball is a tough sport and you can do absolutely almost anything except touch the face when you're face-to-face with a player. Defender player can really tackle any player that comes towards him. But if a player is past him, you can't touch him. Easy, easy rule. 
but should help a lot of people kind of get into the flow of the game. But how long has handball been in the Olympics? That's a very good question, Alex. It was first in the Olympics in 1936, which is famously known as the Hitler or the Nazi Olympics, when it was brought in as an outdoor sport at the time. So they played 11 against 11 on a football field, and it was a round-robin tournament with six teams. Then it disappeared for 36 years and was back then in 1972 when it was once again brought into a a German Olympic Games in Munich 1972 on the men's side and then four years later in Montreal 1976 the women's competition was introduced and ever since then both men and women have been competing in the Olympics. And I've got a great stat for you Chris. The first six nations that won gold medal on the men's side in the Olympics mm. no longer exist. Ah. That is Yugoslavia, Soviet Union, East Germany, and the unified team that uh, was the remnants of the Soviet Union in 1992. Well, what about 1936? Well, t- technically, you could say that Nazi <laughs> Germany probably does. That flag, that when you go to Wikipedia, and the flag that's associated with the gold medal winner in 1936 does not exist. Very good. That's a great one. So who's dominated the Olympics? Can you give me that? Oh, um, besides the nations that don't exist anymore. <laughs> besides the nations that don't exist. I think uh, besides the, besides the Soviet Union and Yugoslavia, well, even including them, it's been on the men's side very even, I think it's fair to say. Uh, are we talking about men and women together? or yeah. just Yeah, men and women together. Denmark, four gold medals. Three on the women's side, uh, where they won three in a row in 1996 and 2000 and 2004, when they beat South Korea in the final. And we spoke to Trina Nielsen about that last summer on the Uninformed Handball Hour. And then the men won their first gold medal four, five years ago in Rio. So in terms of gold medals, Denmark are actually the overall dominant side alongside Soviet Union who have four gold, one silver, and one bronze. And then, actually, in terms of existing countries, the next best in terms of medals, in fact, overall medals, so gold, silver, and bronze, is South Korea. And we will definitely talk a bit about South Korea in this uh, podcast, especially on the women's side. Unfortunately, they didn't qualify on the men's side this time but there's been some great stories with handball at the olympics and one of the things i love about it really is how it has this ability winning gold at the olympics has this ability to ignite passion for the sport in a nation we've seen that with france basically before 1992 france were a non-entity in world handball they kind of they played a little bit they weren't too interested and that team of lebrons in 1992 spurred this resurgence of handball in the country and they've basically gone on to dominate the handball world for the next 20 years um slowing down a little bit recently and a country like south korea which you know that don't really um, don't have a professional league. They're not, uh, their players 
aren't the best players in the world, but during the Olympics, they love it so much that they made a feature film about that women's team in what year was it? That was based on the 2004 team, the team that lost to Denmark in the final. Uh, Forever the Moment is the name of the film. Have you watched it yet? I actually still have not watched it. (laughs) I might put that into my uh, Olympic hype preview uh, (laughs) watching. But other other nations you mentioned there that have kind of like uh, really taken to the sport then during the Olympics. A great example is Iceland, I think, in um, in 2008 when the men's team got to the Beijing final, losing to France. But this population of just over 300,000 people getting to an Olympic final in a team sport was phenomenal. So much so that an artist made replicas of all of their penises for the Penis Museum in Reykjavik, and it was in silver. Uh, which, you know, I mean, that, if that doesn't scream adoration for the sport, I don't know what does. And, uh, staying with the Nordics and, and Sweden with the Bengen boys, a, a team that really captured the imagination of a whole nation in the nineties and two thousands with three consecutive silver medals in the men's Olympic tournament. So dominant on the world and European level, but they could never get their hands on gold, losing to, the unified team in 1992, Croatia in 1996, and Russia in 2000, then also losing the final 2012 in London. So despite all of Sweden's amazing history, still no gold medal. Could that be changed? Alex will tell us why that might happen later on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you betcha. Oh, you betcha. And, you know, humble again, for, for listeners that may be tuning in and trying to find out more, Handball is a big sport, primarily in Europe. It is a professional sport, kind of across all of um, mainland Europe, except for the English-speaking countries. So maybe that's why you may not have heard of it so far. But it's so big that there are actually three flag bearers that um, will be handball players at this Olympics. Can you guess any of the flag bearers? You will, I, you know, I'll give you full props if you even get one. If I can get one, that suggests that it's going to be really difficult. Um, I actually, I should have looked into this. Um, I reckon one of them should be Stina Oftedal. No, no, unfortunately not. Okay, can you give me a region here? I don't want to stay too. Long. Give me, give me a region. There, there is, so there's one from Africa, there's one from the Middle East, so I'm not, I'm not expecting okay. you to get those, but there is one from the Balkans. Oh. Oh, is it Jovanka Radicevic? Jovanka Radicevic will be holding the Montenegrin flag yes. in the opening I'm, ceremony. I'm <laughs> <laughs> huge Chris huge the other two nation. are that's another nation that we should mention there Montenegro they were the first I think the handball women 2012 getting silver I think that was the nation's first ever medal in the Olympics yeah the the other two being Natalia Benvarda from Angola and Hussein Al-Sayed for Bahrain who will be holding their nation's flags Will we go into a tournament? Will we see what is in store for us? So we said 12 teams 
on the men's side and 12 teams on the women's side. And one thing that makes the Olympics very special is just the tight amount of teams that can play in it and the fact that it happens every four years. So in handball, there's a world championship or a European championship every year. Um, so the teams play each other quite a lot at an international stage. But with the restriction of 12 teams, um, and, you know, you take the hosts out of that, you take the <clears throat> nations uh, around the world which have a place in the Olympics, it leaves a very small amount of uh, teams for Europe, which is really the powerhouse of handball. And you have teams like Spain who haven't competed in the Olympics, you know, a golden generation of players who just hasn't competed in the Olympics. You have, you know, former gold winners like Croatia and Russia, not even in the competition on the men's side. You have, you know, it is a huge honor to get that place in the Olympics. And all of these teams have earned their place. So will we uh, go through group by group? Yeah, we start with the men then? Yeah, let's start with the men's side. Okay. Two groups of six here. Top four go through to the quarterfinals. So there's an opportunity here for for everyone, really. Uh, but it is tough to break into the top four for some of these teams. So looking at Group A, we've got Norway, France, Germany, Brazil, Spain, and Argentina. What pops out to you here? What's the, the main storyline in Alex Kulesh's brain? Main storyline is Norway and France get to play again. <laughs> Their new rivalry that they built. Um, but I do like that Brazil-Argentina uh, encounter as well. Brazil-Argentina, the top two, let's say, non-European nations, I, I would say, over the last um, number of years. Argentina, who were whiskers away from a quarterfinal place in the last world championship they've been battling out in south america for a long time and i think both of them will think that they can squeak a place into uh, the top four but i just went straight into advanced level handball knowledge so let's 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 roll it back let's roll it back and maybe talk about france who who are an absolute enigma uh, this year, yeah. I think. Yeah. France have dominated world handball for uh, between what, 20, uh, between 2000 and 2017. They really won everything, including uh, back to back Olympic golds in, uh, was it Beijing and uh, London? London? Yeah. Including back to back Olympic golds. But they have slowed down a little bit and they're in this kind of weird mesh of an, of the old team and some new players and maybe a coach that, uh, is slightly in over his head. It really goes to show with, with France and some other teams. I think Spain is another example of it. And it, it, it proves what you said about just how important the Olympic Games are for these players because there's French players there who are literally holding on and have been holding on for the last year to just playing these games. And then they're going to move on. And France have been stuck in this weird situation where, and I don't know what the best analogy is for uh, a non-handball fan, but it is, it's a team where 
you've got names being chosen rather than players who are in form. You know, so it's some some of the old heroes are still being kept in the squad uh, ahead of players who probably should be there based on their form over the last year and a half. And it pushes them out of contention for me. I, I think so. I, I do have an analogy. This is, uh, th- this is a niche analogy. But it is like, let's say, the New England Patriots. But instead of the- getting rid of Tom Brady or Tom Brady moving on, they got rid of their coach, Bill Belichick. They got rid of Bill Belichick. So that's Claude and Esther leaving after 15 years in charge and letting Tom Brady just decide what players he wants to have there. And that's had a bit of success. It's just been a bit weird. Uh, They haven't moved on. Yeah, that's a good one. And, um, you know, we we spoke before the World Championship in January with Kevin Dumas, uh, a French journalist, about this team, and he was so down on them, really didn't believe that they were going to do anything special. And they managed to have a very good tournament. They got to the semi-final of that World Championship and then were basically uh, found wanting because the goalkeepers purely didn't show up. They had a terrible, terrible game. And there are some positions in this French team, like the goalkeepers and for new handball fans, goalkeeper position is so incredibly important. It's almost it's it's impossible to overstate how important they are. And then there are positions like the uh, the playmaker position and on the wings, uh, particularly the left wing, where there are some of those old boys who are being kept in instead of the rising talent, and that is probably going to hold this team back. Potentially, potentially, and you mentioned Spain as well, and Spain haven't even tried to move on it's incredible their this squad has an average age of 33 and it includes uh, it only has i think three players under the age of 30 it is the you know players holding on for dear life to play in this competition this team has won two european championships in a row and the thing that they celebrated most in their last european championship was that winning that gold medal guaranteed them a place in tokyo 2020 and unfortunately it's also taken an extra year which um probably hasn't done them too many favors and spain but the thing about Spain is they're just they're just so good. They they seem to always come out and win. Yeah. When you when you knock them down. Yeah. But I mean this this is then going into a bit more for the uh, the hardcore fans. Um I mean maybe not even the hardcore fans would remember this guy, Antonio Garcia is in the squad. <laughs> Right, Antonio Garcia is in as one of the left backs, um, alongside officially Viran Moros, who hasn't uh, played in a set attack probably since 1997, um, <laughs> at least in the last uh, five, six years. But um, Antonio Garcia, Alex, I mean, was he on your radar at all? I'm l- looking at his, so he played for Segan until 2016, then played for Colding, uh, was with Barcelona very briefly, then CSM Bucharesti. Granoyers, Nantes for a season, back to Granoyers, and he's going to be the only out-and-out left-back in the Spanish team? That's really worrying. 
It's it's super strange. He was the best left back in Liga Atabal last year. So he got into the all-star team at the left back position. But he is what, he's 37, 38? 37. Yeah, 37. He um it, it's a strange choice, but I think so what Spain have done is just stick with that old group. They've just stuck with the they haven't tried to really integrate uh, new and old um what they've done is say you've done it many times guys you've played together m- hundreds of games i'd say some of these players have played together just do what you've always done the issue is that there are eight games in 16 days so a game every second day and i hope the Spanish medics have the biggest reserve of ice for, for these players to get through that. Um, but I, I do, I do see them. I see them as a, a potential team to not even make, you know, to, to lose one of those games against Brazil and Argentina because Brazil and Argentina are going to claim a scalp. They're going to claim a European scalp. And, uh, I think. Spain is ripe for taking mm. picking it's a, there. It's uh, this was supposed to be a big championship for Norway as well on the men's side, uh, having watched the women had so much success over the years. But um, Norway, a team that I have been predicting to win gold probably for the last four championships. Uh, this time around, I will not be doing it. It is very much uh, four times bitten, fifth time shy. Also, Norway have lost one of the few players in the backcourt that is right-handed and that they trust. So on this Norway team, so many talented left-handed players and three really, really good right-handers. Christian O'Sullivan, Mr. Reliable, Sander Sagesson, biggest name in the world right now, and then Joran Sugard Johannesson, who was the man who was supposed to work with the two of them and rotate over the the championship and come up with some moments of magic. He's injured. He's out of the championship now. And it feels like it. this championship is going to be too long for Norway without him because every single time they've failed at a big game, it's because that one of those three men, Christian O'Sullivan, Sander Sargeson, or Joran Sugard, haven't been able to produce. Yeah, uh, I think... Norway have a very thin squad um, in terms of they have a fantastic first seven. And yeah, for any new listeners, of course, just watch Sander Sagesson. He is the most dynamic player in world handball. Uh, arguably the best player. And I think consensus at the moment that he is the guy you want to give the ball to. Um, he is... The guy, he, especially for Norway, he really goes super sane. He takes over that team. Watch him take the jump shots from nine, ten meters. Watch how high he jumps. Watch how hard that ball, um, slams into the net. He's, a, he's an incredible player. And it's going to take a superhuman effort again from him to um to get them this gold medal it, it probably it's possible um but they do have Magnus Rude back he was the missing link in the last championship 
So he, he really provides a lot of balance and maybe, um, they have enough, uh, because that, that front three of O'Sullivan, uh, Sagerson and Magnus Rudd is absolutely world class and they're going to have to play every minute. Yeah, that's the that's the thing that worries me. They have to be flawless, but um, and and then and then from Norway, who have like this amazing front seven, and then not too much behind them is Germany, who have fourteen players who are all seemingly decent, but nobody really stands out uh, except for the coach. <laughs> is is Germany going to win this gold medal purely on like being decent? Oh, this Germany team, I just find them so boring. I just like I, I I don't know that there's nothing in this team that excites me. Um, they are huge. They are probably the the biggest team at the tournament. You know, the average height of probably about six foot six, one meter ninety, up to two meters. They are physically strong, but again, it's just not enough time for Gisselson um to actually shape this team i think and they are still missing a playmaker um let's see if yuri nor can have a breakout tournament but i'm not uh he had a good bundesliga season but i don't think he's quite ready to lead them to gold medals so yeah germany quarterfinal exit so what what kind of person will be supporting germany then based on what you've said Without offending anyone, <laughs> nobody. Germans, if, Germans will support Germany at this tournament. <laughs> Germans, if you like systematic handball, if you like systematic sport, if you like, uh, yeah, no, just just don't support Germany. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and uh, let's let's move on to Group B then. And um, this has Denmark, Sweden, Portugal, then Japan, Egypt, Bahrain. This feels like, based on what we spoke about last week as well, that Denmark and Sweden are the outstanding team. So I want to start at the other end. And I'm going to include Portugal in this for now because Egypt are also there. Portugal, Japan, Egypt, Bahrain. Is there... Any surprises that can happen here that will see Portugal or Egypt not qualify from the t- into the top four? It, it's difficult um, to see that happening. I think Japan is a team that everyone should watch because they play this just incredible style of handball where they don't they don't have the height or the strength of other nations. But they make up for that with this, I don't know how to describe it, just dynamic, crazy, spinning, you know, like the Tasmanian devil type handball where the, the ball is always moving, people are always moving, they're jumping. But it, at the end of the day, their, their defense never can, can never really hold up. And I think it's a real pity for Japan that this tournament has been delayed from a uh, sporting point of view in a sense that in the world championships they came in and caused some surprises with this crazy dynamic style that teams weren't used to and they did cause surprises they claimed some big scalps but now teams are going to be expecting that 
Uh, everyone's seen them. Everyone knows that the what they're going to play, and I think teams will prepare for that style and not underestimate them. And they conceded forty-seven goals against France in their um, only uh, pre-tournament warm-up game. They scored thirty-two, so I'm expecting some fun, fun um, scorelines with Japan. So no, basically you're saying is no. There's not going to be no surprises. <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah. Bahrain were were a decent team, but I I think they're they're a little bit out of depth and um, in, in in this tournament. I think Egypt. I wouldn't put Egypt in that bottom four oh. uh, of that group. I would put them on par with Sweden and Denmark. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Portugal, I think, are a great team to talk about. It's if you want a kind of an underdog story or a story where they battle through adversity, then Portugal is a team for you. As they had uh, their goalkeeper Alfredo Quintana pass away earlier this year, and then basically inspired and in his memory managed to qualify for the Olympics in March with the most f- incredible uh, final minutes in a game against France to qualify and knock Croatia out. Also, they play a style of handball, which you, no matter what they're doing, you're just going to want to watch it. Sometimes it can be a disaster. Sometimes it's really beautiful. It's very powerful. It's very athletic, sometimes genius as well. They have a mixture of everything, this team. And uh, whatever happens for them, it's going to be an adventure because it's the first time at the Olympics for them. It's been a huge rise from qualifying for the European Championship as a team for the first time, then their first World Championship, and now their first Olympics. Yeah, they're a fun team. Watch out for Andre Gomes, who can jump out of the building. He is just a fun, fun player. And really, this group comes down to this kind of battle of the Scandinavian nations and probably two of the favourites for the tournament. Well, the clear favourite for the tournament, which is Denmark, reigning double world champions, previous Olympic gold medals, medalists they are informed they have a beautiful mix of this kind of experienced core with Mikkel Hansen one of the greatest handball players of all time uh, who made his name in the Olympics scoring a last second goal uh, in Athens in 2008 mixed with some amazing youth like Matthias Gissel who is just a player to watch out for kind of small Really dynamic, but you, you just look at him and you think, oh, this is an average guy, and then he'll score 10 goals against you. He's, <laughs> he's incredible. Um, really, just Denmark are the team to beat. But I like Sweden. Oh, yes. I really, really, really like Sweden. Sweden, looking through the names, and I wrote, I wrote a preview for strikespiller.com yesterday in the men's competition, and just going through the names of players who have had the best six months of their life in terms of form and reaching the World Championship final back in January out of nowhere. Some of them being part of an Alborg team that got to the uh, Champions League final out of nowhere. Got Jim Gottfriedsen and Hampus Vanna. They're two players who are probably in the top top 10 informed players in the world right now. Uh, Jim Gottfriedsen is, is the number the one. In form. He's the number one. He is MVP of the German Bundesliga. He is incredible. And then, and Vanna's not far behind him, Lucas Sandel, 
the right back. Felix Klar, another centre back, also probably based in Champions League form, could be in the top 10. Felix Klar in particular, you can't forget what he did against PSG in the semi-final of the Champions League. And what a guy to have. I mean, he doesn't even have to be behind uh, Ian Gottfriedsen. He can play alongside him in the backcourt because they can both play uh, left and centre-back if they want to. It's uh, If everything clicks for them, they could definitely win gold. Absolutely. And we mentioned... So I think this is the third approach to a national team. So we mentioned Spain, who have not gotten rid of any of their players and have the old team. We've mentioned France, who've done a little bit of an in-between and kept some of the golden oldies and their mates. Uh, and <laughs> we have Sweden, who just went, you know what? We'd, we don't like any Nielsens. <laughs> and they got rid of three of their top players over, over the last five years, um, if not more. Glenn Solberg, the coach, came in and he said, I just don't want this anymore. They're, they're big names, but they haven't been performing to a good enough level. And has unearthed uh, some amazing gems, like you mentioned, Clara Sandell. Another player is Carlsberg Gore, who has really grown into himself in Bundesliga this season. And what you have with Sweden is, if you look at each player, they are the best player or the most informed player for their club. Um, whether it's Ian Gottfriedsson, whether it's Andreas Palika, whether it's Carlsberg Gore or Max Darge, for their club, and all of these are, they play for top clubs, their best player is a Swedish player. Mm-hmm. And they're just, oh, they, they play a fast style of handball. They, they're just exciting. And talking, going back to the start of kind of like, invigorating a nation. I think Sweden needs to fall in love uh, with handball again. So my my hot tip is Sweden. Your hot tip might be Sweden too. But <laughs> looking at the odds, it's it's a pretty hot tip. They are 7-1, to one, so they're just fifth favourites for the competition. <laughs> oh, that's big for you uh, living in Denmark and Denmark being your adopted nation to say that about Sweden. So fair play to you. We'll go, and we're going to have more podcasts during the championship as well. So once we've had a few days to actually look at how teams are going, we can go into, I think, a a bit more detail. But I want to ask you to, because I've put together a few games that I think in the preliminary round are like unmissable games, games you have to tune into. There's a lot going on in the Olympics, right? So if you were to choose two or three games that people really have to watch in the preliminary round, what would they be? The beautiful thing about uh, these Olympics is that there is handball on all day. It is in Japanese time. It goes from nine a.m. to nine p.m. As in the the games start at nine a.m. and the last game finishes. Actually, the last game would finish at ten p.m. So in Europe, Central European time, that says uh, two a.m. until three p.m. Um, which is probably a bit of a slog for for a few, but great breakfast viewing. <laughs> Games I'm excited for. I'm excited for Norway versus France in Group A, uh, which takes place on the first of August. So that's the let's say group decider game 
but uh, Norway and France tend to play amazing games. Um, it, just pure excitement. I think it's fun to watch the old Nikola Kovacic again. In my opinion, the greatest handball player of all time, Nikola Karabatic, uh, who's won everything, done everything, play against the the new rising star in Sagasin. And Sagasin does what Nikola Karabatic did 20 years ago. Um, so it's, a, it's just a fun battle. 20 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> 20, like Nikola Karabatic was he 17 did, 20 years he did do 10 years ago he also did it for a while after that yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, get, I get what you mean well, what about yours what, what, what are your hot tips I gave 5 in that article I'm going to give 3 of them here and the others you have to go into strikespiller.com to, uh, to read um, Denmark versus Japan is on the opening day I think that's going to be great you mentioned why people have to tune into Japan also, they're the host nation against Denmark, the reigning champions and the double world champions. Must see. Argentina, Brazil, you mentioned already. I'm just going to back that up. That is a huge one. There's going to be a fight at some point in that game. There just has to be, <laughs> right? Um, and then Denmark against Sweden in uh, the group final. You said the group final for Group A is is France against uh, Norway. This is the group final for Group Two, and and maybe a little preview for the actual final. Some great games to watch. Handball every second day for the next two weeks. Oh, that's that's the men's side. The women's side is the every other day. So we handball, handball every, every day for the day. next two weeks. Yeah. What what a treat! What a treat! So will we. Will we go into the women's side? Let's. So, looking at the women's side here, we'll do the same we did in the men, Group A and Group B. So, Group A, we've got Netherlands, Montenegro, Norway, Japan, South Korea, and Angola. What do you want to know? I want to know whether Norway will win it all again. Yeah, I think they will. <laughs> well, uh, Norway, for those of you uh, unfamiliar, they didn't win it five years ago. It was Russia who won it, um, who technically can't defend their title because they're playing as the Russian Olympic Committee this time around. But uh, before that, Norway won the previous two titles, so in London 2012 and Beijing 2008. And... This Norwegian team is, unlike you were saying about Spain and France, where they hold on to the players and just like the old, the golden oldies, there are some golden oldies there, but they are still amazing and they are bringing in top, top talent as well. So Norway kind of bounced back to the top of world uh, handball in December, winning the Women's European Championship. And then... Their top club team, which had a fair, fair chunk of the national team, won the Champions League for the first time. Based on that, you would imagine that they are going to win this. They have two of the best goalkeepers in the world, so, so important. They have a backcourt which looked very good in December, 
and now they're number four backcourt player. So the, the uh, let's say the first substitute has emerged as the very best player in the world, Henny Reistat, based on her performances in the Champions League Final Four, who uh, just seems to be mind-blowingly good. So I find it really hard to find proper weaknesses with them. France almost found a weakness uh, in the final of the European Championship with a certain kind of defence, 5-1 against them. Norway still found a way to get through, and they probably won't fall for something like that again. Norway are just too good, I think. It's going to be tough. It's going to be close. Because it is like, although they are clearly better, someone is really going to push them at some point. But it would be, it would be a disaster for them if they don't win gold here. Yeah, I think the women's tournament is just, it's not as open as the men's tournament. I really think that on the men's side, I see a lot of teams um, winning, you know, being capable of winning a quarterfinal against any other team. So whether it's Spain, who are real outsiders, they can beat Denmark. I, I, I just see that happening. Uh, but on the women's side, I really, you know, I really think there is a very strong top three, um, which will emerge, which is Norway, um, <clears throat> France, of course, who have been uh, the team that has pegged back Norway in the last couple of years, yeah. and the Russian Olympic Committee, um, in this case, who will have their best player back, Anna Vekhareva, um, who's an outstanding player, uh, the right back for them, probably the best 1v1 uh, player in women's handball. The player who can just like break ankles nonstop. Um, she's a big boost for them. And I think with, with a, a full squad, Russia can definitely challenge Norway, um, and France to it for those medals. Otherwise, yeah. do you see any, do you see any countries that? I, I, I kind of slightly disagree with you there when you said it's not as open because I, on the men's side, I, I see Denmark as, as the outstanding top team. And then there's a few teams just below that, including Sweden, who could blow up and be the very best team. They could, but it's nothing guaranteed. And then on the women's side, as you said, there are three outstanding favorites. That's uh, Norway, France, and Russia, Russian Olympic Committee. I think that I feel though the gap between Norway and the other two is not as big as Denmark and the other two. But it would still, I still hold the point that it would be a bit of a disaster for Norway if they don't win it. But it can very much happen, particularly, uh, particularly in knockout handball uh, and in women's handball and in the way that France play defense, for example, could on a given day beat them. So I think, yeah, I fully agree with your three favorites there. And then there's a whole bunch of dark horses. And I think a few of them are, are visible in this group A. So you have the Netherlands who are the reigning world champions, but are missing their best player, Estevana Polman, who's had her second knee injury in the last two years. But Nika Kroos has come back into the team, a player who's basically coming in for one last hurrah. And who knows, maybe she has some heroic uh, performance over the next two weeks and, and they have a lot of talent, but they are a team that I wouldn't go in with too much confidence in, in claiming a gold, but to claim a medal, perhaps. And then there's a few teams like that Sweden, 
on the women's side have been in, in very good form recently. And again, we'll, we'll test somebody in a no- knockout game. Montenegro with our flag bearer, Jovanka Ridicevic. It's kind of a last hurrah for a lot of those players in that generation. Uh, South Korea, who I think peak at these games. They are two-time champions for a reason. And they they showed at the, the Japan World Championship in 2019 that they, they're going to be a danger. So I think from Group A there, you have Netherlands, Montenegro, Norway, and South Korea who will qualify. Uh, Japan... Uh, again, the hosts may not qualify from this. They, uh, they'll they have a battle with Angola and maybe South Korea, but I think South Korea will emerge from there, uh, from Group A. Actually, that's I I completely forgot about South Korea. That's yeah. really unlike me, very unlike me. <laughs> but South Korea are are going to cause a lot of trouble for the big teams. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're, they're, I can see them even... Competing at you know to a draw against Norway in, in that group. That's that's the level um, I'm expecting them for. If South Korea are just so interesting. How they treated as an Olympic sport. These players have been training together for this um, Olympics with the sole focus of getting gold, and they always come out guns blazing, always high scoring games, and. To be honest, I would put South Korea ahead of all the other dark horses that you mentioned, like Netherlands and Montenegro. They would be real dark horses if they do it, but they're very capable of doing it. They, they're probably the team in handball that play most like every single game is an NBA All-Star game because they just come up with things that the defenders know are coming, but they can't do anything about, like double in-flight goals or they're lobbing the ball in the air to each other and they're just so quick that nobody can do anything about it there comes a time where it doesn't work anymore but uh, who knows maybe they have they have uh, they've formed something which is capable of getting a medal here that's why i think we have to watch some games before we we comment more on them i'm really excited to see them play though uh in group a and in uh Group B, Spain, Russian Olympic Committee, Hungary, Sweden, France, and Brazil. Uh, This is going to be really tough because there are teams there that feel like they can be medal contenders that are not going to qualify from the preliminary round. You've got five European teams there and Brazil who are a bit, like as, as a whole, or maybe a bit over the hill, would have probably liked these games to be a year earlier a bit like spain and the men's side but do have some really interesting players uh like anna uh anna bruna de paula who is not a champions league player but a lot of people will know who she is we mentioned her in the podcast last month because anna gross challenged me on her <laughs> to name the best one-on-one player in in women's handball she was the correct answer there um but yeah russia I'm going to call them Russia for the rest of this podcast. Uh, Russia or the ROC are the the outstanding team there. There was a bit of a worry about Anna Kareva whether she was going to be uh, missing because she injured herself in a test match against Sweden. She's fit. She's healthy. I saw on Instagram today that she... Uh, did you see what her post on Instagram? You're going to love this if you didn't. No? So she... Um, she brought a, a jersey of Luka Doncic with her. 
and has been carrying it around the Olympic Village ever since she got there, hoping to run into him to get an autograph on it. And she found him and she was like, this is the only guy I wanted to take a picture with in this whole games. And she managed to do it before. So it's a picture of uh, Anna Verikareva and Luka Doncic. How cool is that? That's that's fair play to I would say Anna Verikareva is the Luka Doncic of women's handball. Maybe... <laughs> Or maybe what Luka Doncic will be in a couple of years when yeah. he wins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's probably faster than he is as well. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, the Russian team, uh, I you can't count them out. Um, they are the reigning champ. Well, Russia is the reigning champions. But a lot of good teams in there, and uh, I think it would be unfair to comment too much on. Uh, well, France is in there as well. They'll be huge medal contenders. Sweden, Hungary, and Spain. Who knows? I think all will get have a chance. Only two of them can get to the knockout stages. And uh, once they do, it'll be very open. Uh, and that's what I like about three stages of, of knockout handball. And we've spoken about that uh, at the World Championship as well. So, yeah, we'll see how the days progress. So, so what games do you uh, recommend uh, me to tune into, Chris? I'm going to go in chronological order. So on the 25th, so on Sunday, you have Norway against South Korea. European champions against the the wild cards of South Korea. Um, I think Sweden against the Russian Olympic Committee two days later is going to be great. Japan against South Korea uh, because South Korea again and it uh, you know in an all Asian battle with Japan being at home maybe there'll be a surprise there um, unless as you mentioned Korea emerge as proper title contenders um, and then Netherlands against Montenegro. Uh, on the final day of the preliminary round, which is, uh, I think, going to see which of those two have a chance of getting a bronze medal. For me, standing game is Russia versus France on the 31st of July. Um, Mm. I think that will really show us if Russia have it um, this year. Good one there. Do you dare make some medal predictions at this stage? I've... Gone, gone all, all Sweden and uh, Russia. I've, I've given my what I think will happen, but I will reassess over the next couple of games um, to give the full medal standings. Okay, all right. So at the moment, you're just giving the winners. I've, I've given winners, and I think it is going to be Sweden and Russia. All right. Um, at this stage, I'm going to go. Oh, it's kind of boring to go for the two. Uh, Denmark, Norway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to go for my two outside bets to get a medal at this stage. All right. So I'm not going to go for the winners this. I'm going to give you my two outside bets to get a medal. Um, Egypt on the men's side. And you've made me believe in South Korea. Yeah, why not? Two most likely non-European teams to get a medal. Egypt, South Korea. I don't know if that's any kind of a revelation. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who don't know anything about handball, there you go. (laughs) All right, Chris, give me your top three players to look out for. Oh, yeah. Spread across the men's and women's side. Uh, Well, I mentioned one of them there, uh, Ana Bruna de Paula, who uh, plays for Brazil on the women's side. Miguel Martins, I have a feeling, is going to become a man at this tournament uh, for Portugal on the men's side. 
and then I'm trying to think of players that you haven't mentioned already because they're they've all been good shouts. Those that you've uh, shouted out, I'll go for an obvious one then. Sander Sagerson. He's either going to gloriously lead Norway to a gold, or you're going to see him break somebody's head in a quarterfinal defeat. Fair enough. Mine are Dikamem for France because he is just a powerhouse. Exciting player. I think he does have it in him to, to really take control of this French team. Then I I actually I'll give an Argentinian player as well, and that is um, Federico Pizarro for Argentina, the right back. I know he, many people would have said, oh, why don't you watch Diego Simone? He's definitely Argentina's best player. No, Federico Pizarro does some amazing things with the ball. His underarm shot is uh, just unstoppable. And I think on the women's side, let's give a bit of um love for the goalkeepers. I don't think we spoke about goalkeepers in this podcast, but goalkeepers are so important. Well, no, I did, I did say that, though. I did say that at the beginning. Fair enough. <laughs> Still, I want to emphasize, re-emphasize <laughs> how important they are, and especially in tournament handball, in knockout handball. All it takes is an outstanding performance from a goalkeeper and no matter if you are Norway or Sweden, you can be knocked out by a goalkeeper having an inspired day. Mm, so I will say Tess Fester for the Netherlands on the women's side, who is not only an exceptional goalkeeper, but she has a knack for an incredible save. When she makes that point black save, it really puts your head into a spin. We, we have to make an official handball error statement on oh, yeah. Norway Gate, Short Gate, the biggest handball story potentially ever, uh, which has been picked up by media all over the world. And it is, there's, there's not too much to say no. except for I'm happy that it has been picked up by the media because it will force the federations to change. They can't not change that, let's say, archaic rule. Um, both organizations, IHF and EHF, were a little bit weak in their response, or yeah. weak in their response by basically hiding behind bureaucracy, where EHF blames IHF, IHF doesn't say anything. It's, <laughs> it, it's all just a bit of a mess, and... Hopefully this outrage, which is fully warranted, just gets the rules changed. It's it's not that hard. Yeah, uh, and and just from from being on the inside there at the, at the European Championship last week, you know the uh, those who really care about the sport are fully in support of the the women in this case, and it is a political thing that people were hiding behind hilariously. Uh, now that it's it's gotten way more attention than any other handball story ever, it's caused way more hassle than they could ever, could ever imagine. And I think things will change quickly then. Um, you know, I, I was quickly uh, writing with Martina Velfler from the Norwegian team. 
they all think this has gotten way bigger than they ever would have expected, but they really appreciate the support they've gotten from around the world. And yeah, I think um, from now on, women will be given the option to play beach handball in whatever attire they prefer. There will be those who prefer to play in the bikini still. There'll be those who prefer to play in shorts and it doesn't matter which they choose as long as it's up to them. And I think that's the most important thing to take away from this. So I think the the handball world uh, should be proud of what the Norwegian women did and standing up for themselves there. It's great to see that people can make a change like that and force the uh, the higher powers to uh, to change their ways by shaming them. It's a pity it had to be like that, but it's good to shame some of those people every now and then. So anyway, thanks. Uh, thank you, Alex Kulesh, for your insight uh, from Alex and myself, Chris O'Reilly. That's it for now. We'll be bringing in our co-host, Brian Campion, as well over the next couple of weeks and uh, hopefully some guests as well. Enjoy the opening games of the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Uh, follow us at Handball Hour on all the socials as well. And we'll talk to you again very soon. Goodbye. <laughs>